Blog Talk Radio. Satellites in the skies broadcasting live 
they're being uh, attacked with uh, with with like DNS attacks, and uh, it certainly be why uh, our show and certainly several other shows who have uh, uh, this isn't just speculated. I mean, they have they have already worked it out with Blog Talk, and they've they've got their records, they've got the uh, all the information on how this is done. Uh, as far as as far as the uh, denial of service attacks and stuff like that, so I'm hoping that uh, that we don't get zaps. We'll see. We'll see if we, uh, you know, if we have that much weight uh, that somebody would actually want to try and uh, and give our show grief. Uh, I hope that they don't because. Because it's hard. So let's start the show with uh, giving folks a chance to call in and tell their local crews thanks. And uh, we also have some folks that want to talk about the Liberty Seed program. <laughs> we'll go ahead and get those folks on right here at the beginning so that we can give you guys a uh, a rundown on how the Liberty Seed program is supposed to be working and hopefully what the benefits that uh, the Alpha Project can receive from the program and uh, and see about getting uh, other folks involved in setting these up. All right, uh, I'm going to bring the first caller on here. Uh, Sam says this is Painkiller. All right, Painkiller, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you, Scott. And uh, yeah, I hear you. Fine. So you want to talk about uh, the Liberty Seeds? So why don't you just go ahead and start rolling on it? All right. So Liberty Seed is pretty much the uh, three strikes without any firearms. It takes about forty-five minutes to an hour and a half to complete. Uh, we give them all over the country. It's uh, a program where we can use a PowerPoint presentation, props, or we can just tell the stories on their own. We talk about April 19th, 1775, and we uh, describe to the audience what our founders' sacrifices, what the sacrifices they made to preserve our liberty, just as they do at the Appleseed events. We just, it, the event is a lot less time-consuming. Uh, we'll go to any place. I've even done them at um, my poker parties with just eight people. But we've done them to events for tea party events for over 400 people. And um, sometimes they only give us 25 minutes. We'll talk maybe the first and second strike, or we'll do a convinced, uh, condensed version. Or in other times we can do a detailed program with PowerPoint presentation that can last up to an hour and a half. Um, we again all over the country. There's the LibertySeed.org website, and you can go on the website and schedule your own Liberty Seed. Um, you just contact the website, and someone will get back with you to schedule one anywhere in the country. And then on, from that website, there's also a new forum that we started. It's very similar to the Appleseed forum. And you can go on there and get more information. You can donate to the RWVA uh, and to Liberty Seed, and you can join um, as a membership to the RWVA, which uh, will give you some uh, more access to the forum as well. 
so that you can uh, receive some more of the uh, history that we have on the forum. But there's really good history, uh, an overview of what we have to say on the website itself, which again is libertyseed.org. Well, that sounds great. I mean, uh, this is something that uh, this is something that that makes it easier for folks to get introduction uh, to the Appleseed project because it doesn't require uh, even uh, 20 feet for a firing line. It doesn't require firing at all. No firearms. You can take it into places that firearms can't go. I've taken the uh, the Liberty Seeds into many schools, and uh, and I've also taken it to uh, board presentations, ranges. Uh, I've taken it to uh, Tea Party meetings, like you were talking about, and Republican Party meetings, and, and you'll have to uh, just have to. And, and there's no hard and fast rules on it, as far as as far as what it has to be or what you have to do, because that will have to be determined by a lot by how much time they're going to give you and and stuff like that. I've had it. Uh, I've been at uh, some of the party meetings where they've only given me uh, 15 minutes. Now, I did stretch it to about uh, 22 minutes, and I got uh, some comments like from one of the guys there who, who said as I walked by, that guy sure likes to hear himself talk. And uh, the, it re- it the, really whole, lets us the whole purpose is to get the information out to the folks and to get them to get them to understand what we're trying to do, and hopefully they'll show up in an event. But even if they don't, the whole purpose of Appleseed is not to, it's the specific purpose is not to get people to improve their marksmanship. The specific purpose is to get, get people involved uh, in the maintenance of the nation. It really lets us reach uh, more of, of America um, and touch more Americans because uh, we don't, necessarily have to go into the firearm aspect for people that don't necessarily totally believe in firearms or really or they might be a little bit nervous about a firearm we can come into their home or we can go to the library and we can give them the presentation it really allows us to reach the rest of america as well right because i've done it even for uh for pretty much liberal gatherings and uh and i didn't even really Discuss firearms. I didn't discuss any kind of uh, politics, which we never do anyway. But I didn't discuss anything other than the fact that that as American citizens, we have an obligation to safeguard the freedoms and liberties uh, that we enjoy by virtue of being Americans, and that means that uh, the Constitution doesn't belong to any party. It doesn't belong to any group of people. It belongs to American citizens, that means that you can you can do a, a three strike story for anybody. Everybody, nobody should have any grief with it, and uh, and it's a great way to get folks, some folks, uh, to get involved in in doing something. You know, I always tell you guys that we're not going to tell you what to do, but you got to do something. You've got to you've got to get involved in some way for our system of government to work. Right now, it's the it's failing because the citizens 
are not involved. They're letting their they're letting the government ruin itself, and that's like uh, that's like letting an alcoholic uh, be in charge of the bar. And as citizens, we have to become more involved, and that's that's everybody. That goes across all party lines. Yeah, we have a system of self-government, and if if we don't get involved in that system, then it's no longer a self-government of the people. It becomes just the government. That's it. That's it exactly. And and right now that's what it is because because people are not involved to the extent that they need to be. It seems like at times that uh, the folks are making an effort, but a lot of times that the effort that, that that's being made is not by the groups that uh, that that have America's best interests at heart. So it's going to take a great deal more involvement of our citizens in order to to fix the troubles that we are in. So once again, uh, give out the uh, the website for where folks can go to uh, to log on to the Liberty Seed page. It's a www dot liberty seed s e e d dot org. Okay. And again, thank you for your time. All right, hey, thank you very much for calling in, and uh, and you're welcome to call in uh, at every show if you want to remind folks uh, because this is a to me this is just as important an aspect of apple seed as the shooting. Uh, and we're certainly have it has the potential to reach more people in the shooting. So this is something that uh that we need to try and switch gears just a little bit and try and get it uh try and get this portion of Appleton rolling just as uh, strongly as we do with the shooting. Thanks, Payne and be sure to call in uh, next week. All right, thanks. <clears throat> Once again, the Liberty Seeds can be done uh, without any any firearms, uh, any targets, anything else. You don't need really anything at all. You just need uh, to be able to tell the story. And if you're a red hat, or even if you're an orange hat, you should be able to tell the story. And And that is usually the portion of the apple seed that is the most inspiring to the folks that attend. The shooting is great. Not everybody's happy with improving their rifle marksmanship, but the story, the story that contains the message, is the part that gets folks moving, gets folks motivated. And this can be done. This can be done anywhere. It can be done in a city park. It can be done in a in a, in a library. It, can be done as part of uh, any other meeting, uh, like the Tea Party meetings, like the uh, Daughters of the American Revolution meetings, the Sons of the American Revolution meetings. And I told you guys, there's chapters in every city. Every city uh, that can be put on a map, is big enough to be put on a map, usually has a Daughters of the American Revolution and Sons of the Revo- American Revolution chapter. And they would be more than willing. They'd love to have you guys uh, schedule a Liberty Seed for them. And it'll take you about uh, 10 minutes. Get on the phone, call the chapter, talk to the uh, the secretary, 
let them know what you want to do. They they love having speakers come in and talk to their organizations, especially folks uh, like the Appleseed Project that has a mission that is directly in line with the mission of the uh, CR and DR chapters. <clears throat> so be sure and keep that on your your schedule of things to do, and uh, and then the folks that are running the LPCs, I'd like you to call in and let us know how how they've been doing, how they've been received, uh, different things that you did uh, to make the events. Uh, to make the events more exciting or enjoyable for the folks that were there. Uh, all right. If you want to uh, call in, the call in number is 347-308-8790. Three four seven three zero eight eight seven nine zero. You can call in, talk to Sam. He'll get you on the uh, uh, get you in the queue, and then uh, he'll give me a note once you're up and ready to go. <clears throat> uh, all right, <clears throat> let's talk about let's talk about fire starting. Uh, this is a part of the continued series on the rifleman as being prepared in the event of a man-made or natural disaster, or cessation of services, etc. Uh, fire starting is one of the five tenets of survival. Water, food, shelter, security, and energy. All right? And fire starting is going to be pretty important in in your survival and your self-reliance plan because you don't think about it uh, during the course of a regular day. But anytime you want something cooked or or burnt or, or you want your grill lit, anything like that, uh, a lot of that comes to you right now by virtue of the uh, electrical company or the gas company. You just turn a knob, you just switch, and the flame comes on or the uh, or the burners heat up. And you're able to cook your food or heat your water for coffee or, or whatever you need to do. Uh, if you want to light your grill, most of them now have the push-button strikers, or you're going to – or you get a uh, – uh, one of the striker lighters or one of the uh, butane fire lighters, and you use that to start your fires. But now what happens if you're not able to do that? What happens if there isn't any power and you need to start a fire? And you say, all right, well, I'm going to just use, uh, I'll just use a lighter. And you look around and you don't have one. Or you can, you, you, you want to, you'll just use some matches, and maybe you don't have any of those either. One of my first uh, uh, suggestions is to make sure that that uh, procuring fire-starting equipment is part of your prep. And uh, the, most, the easiest thing is going to be 
buying uh, the disposable lighters. Uh, the Dollar General used to have a really great uh, package deal on those. I could get uh, 10 of the lighters for $2.50. So every time I went into Dollar General, I grabbed another sh- uh, uh, package of those. And I've just been uh, slipping them inside uh, the one-gallon Ziploc bags. And, uh, and when I get three or four or five packages in there, I'll close it up, roll it up, and then put it away in a, uh, a Rubbermaid tote in a container. <clears throat> and I've been doing that for quite a while uh, because I want to have the ability uh, to start fires. Uh, there's also... As far as the lighters go, there's also uh, a good story on this from the gentleman in Argentina who went through the the country's breakdown there. He said that big lighters, the regular disposable big lighters, were as valuable as any other kind of bartering uh, gear that uh, that could be had because everybody needed something to start a fire with. There's no electricity, no gas, and they had a way to cook, and most people were cooking with, with some type of a uh, wood fire. That means it has to be lit, and if it has to be lit, you've got only a couple of choices. Either you light it with something, or you keep the fire going 24 hours a day nonstop, and even then it's going to go out at some point, and how are you going to restart it? How are you going to start a fire? You could... You could walk somewhere uh, to a neighbor's house and ask them if you could borrow some coals to get your started. Or you could use your your fire starting devices that you have. So my first uh, suggestion would be to make sure that you are putting these away as part of your prep. And the best way to do it, the Dollar Generals don't have that same uh, deal anymore. At least not in my in my area. They may have it somewhere else, but most of the Dollar Generals will have some kind of a deal on the lighters. Now I think it's only five for two dollars and fifty cents. It went from twenty five cents a piece to fifty cents a piece. Nevertheless, they'll be worth a hundred dollars a piece if you ever need them. So I would spend the money and I would start uh, picking one up uh, like once a week. I'd just pick up another sheaf of them, get five or ten together, wrap them up good, and put them away as part of your prep, same way that you're putting away canned food or rice and beans or anything else. But those are always part of your prep. You're going to need them, and they're going to be valuable bartering goods because a lot of folks aren't going to do this. They're not going to listen to this. They're not going to prepare, and they're going to need some way to start fires. All right, you've got, you've got this way that you can do it. Now, one of the things that the gentleman from Argentina also mentioned was that everybody – had to develop some type of a craft, some type of uh, of a trade that they could use to sustain themselves to, to, as barter currency. And one of the folks uh, had developed a way to uh, either make methane or, or or some way to make it propane, and he was refilling the disposable lighters. And if you look at the bottom of most of the disposable lighters, uh, they will have a way that they can be refueled because that's how they initially got fueled in the first place. And 
uh, I would also consider working out now, and I think you have some kids to do this, working out a way that you can uh, that you can make an attachment uh, to refill the butane lighters from bulk sources, things like your, like the, uh, I'm not sure what size the cans are. They're the big green cans that they use for the lanterns and cooking the propane cans, stuff like that. That you can use to refill lighters from that. Uh, go ahead and try and work out now making a device to fit on there that uh, you can use to refill the lighters uh, so that if you have some other source that you don't throw the lighters away. And even once they are, the butane is gone, they are still usable because it's a, it's a really good way to get a spark when you're starting a fire from sparks. I will cover that in a second. All right, so the the butane lighters and matches would be one of the first things I would get. You can still buy the the box matches, you know, the large box of the big strike-on-the-side matches. You can still buy those. And what I've been doing with those is I've got uh, I bought some of the rubber-made containers that are the same size as the matches. And, uh, and then I've also been taking getting uh, – uh, medication containers, you know, use medication containers that are of the right size. And then what I do is I take the medication containers, pack it filled with the matches, and then take some wax and pour the wax into the container. So, so it makes a solid block around the matches. Cut a piece of the, uh, the strikeable stuff and... Put it on the inside of the lid. Actually, you cut two pieces. One uh, so that both of the uh, the coarse sides are facing each other. They're the exact size of the inside of the lid. And then push that into the lid, and then you can shut that. And that will give you matches that uh, will stay strikeable, stay dry. And they'll also uh, give you some... Uh, some material to help you start your fires, and that's the wax that's inside there. Because the wax is flammable, you can shave off some of the wax into a pile on your tinder. That will help it start. So start to start stocking up on the disposable lighters and on matches uh, of all types. Make sure that's part of your prep because if you don't, and something happens, then you're only going to have what you have, what you have managed to store and put away. There's not going to be a place to buy stuff. Uh, so, or at least I wouldn't count on it. I would count on making sure that I had enough stuff to take care of myself. I'd make sure that I had matches and lighters as part of my prep. All right, now, if you don't have that, and even if you do, you should make sure that that you have, uh, I would get several of the, uh, of the products that are on the market right now for fire starting. And that is, you've got the magnesium blocks that you can get. And the magnesium blocks have uh, a a block of the magnesium. The magnesium is a very soft metal. It's also flammable. And then it will have, along one side of it, it will have a, uh, a striker embedded in the metal. What you do is you'll shave off uh, filings of the magnesium, and then you'll flip it around so that the striker, you can strike the metal against the striker and have the sparks from that 
uh, uh, lights the metal filings up, and uh, and that is a that's another good device to have with you. Uh, I have several of those that I've bought over the years, and uh, and I also make time to practice with those because you don't want to be trying to figure out how to use them or be trying to train yourself uh, through the uh, uh, the trial and error process uh, to start a fire with that when you need to start a fire. Uh, if your life were to depend on it, you don't want to be trying to start a fire with through it with some technique or some device that you've not used before. So make sure I want you, all of these devices that we'll be talking about, make sure that once you get them, you actually use them and teach yourself how to use them to start a fire so that you're able to do it uh, without too much of a problem. They've got the magnesium blocks. They have uh, several of the uh, the uh, let me see the all of the there's a lot of different devices now. All of the uh, all of the ferrous type starting devices that they make. There is uh, uh, almost everybody is making some form of them, and uh, and these are all really great items. The magnesium block, the ferrocerium uh, uh, sticks, and they've got the the uh, the punch sticks that have everything set up into one device so that you just press it down. When you press it down, it scrapes and send a, send a, a, a large volume of sparks into your tinder when you press it down. <clears throat> and most of these items are, are fairly inexpensive, like in the 7 to $10 range. And you can spend more. But I would make sure that I had, uh, and I had multiple devices and that I had used them all and was able to start fires with them uh, and had practiced before I needed to. Now, certainly, there is the old tried-and-true flint and steel. Uh, this, is, this is the way man has been making fire for thousands of years. Uh, this is what, this is what uh, the... Uh, flintlock rifles used to fire them. This uh, this process is where you take uh, a piece of steel and the, I have the carbon in the steel is better because the carbon is what's is what is burning. You're taking the steel and you're striking it. You're striking the steel with the flint in order to shave off uh, tiny tiny pieces of steel uh, that then combust because of the, the friction applied to them whenever they're struck off. You can use just about any uh, any type of good high-carbon steel that you have, uh, things like old tool steel, uh, old files work good, uh, any type of old tool steel ferrous, uh with high carbon, it's going to work good, and then the flint. And... Flint can be found just about anywhere. Uh, I would make sure that I that I was familiar enough with it, that I knew what it looked like, and that uh, and then I knew how to I knew how to operate 
plant and steel because, like I said, this is the most uh, this is the most primitive form. It's something that's been working for thousands of years. Uh, and uh, we'll talk for just about just for a second here too about I'm going to come back to this in a minute, but we're talk we're going to talk about the third part of this that you'll need. You'll need three things. You'll need the steel, the flint, and then you'll need some tinder to catch it. One of the best things that you can do use is going to be charred cloth. Now you, you may not always have this with you, but the reason you can't make some up as part of your kit. Uh, I don't have charred cloth. I should probably make some so that I can stuff it in with the rest of my kit. But charred cloth is just uh, 100% cotton cloth that has been charred. Uh, that means it's been exposed to to a high enough temperature that uh, that it has almost burned, but it has not quite burned. Uh, and you can make this uh, in several ways. The easiest way would probably be to take some some strips of uh, 100% cotton T-shirt, wrap it in some aluminum foil, poke uh, one small hole in the foil, and then uh, then set it on the fire and watch it. And uh, you should be able to after some trial and error. You should be able to get to the point where you can char your cloth uh, correctly. And like I said, if you take the cloth out, if you if it starts to crumble when you start uh, moving it between your thumb and your forefinger, then you've gone too far. If it's just brown, then it's not done enough because this is a the char cloth will catch the sparks from the flint steel. It'll catch the sparks. And it's like a perfect bed for them to land on and and to begin uh to begin the start of your fire. You'll strike the the sparks into the char cloth, the char cloth will catch one of the sparks in it and it will begin to to burn at that spot a small ember and then you can gently blow on it until you have a large enough ember that you can use it to light the rest of your uh, tinder. We'll come back to to tinder and stuff in just a minute. Uh, Another way that is a fairly decent way uh, to start a fire is going to be through some type of optics. If you have a magnifying glass, if if you're wearing glasses, uh, you can use those to start a fire. You can use the sun to help you start a fire. Uh, it can even be done, and when you do that, you got all the most most kids have tried this at some point. They've taken the magnifying glass and they've placed it uh, between the sun and the item that they want to burn. Uh, I think a lot of kids usually used to try and uh, and roast ants and stuff with their magnifying glass. You'll take it and place it between the sun and your tinder, and then you'll move it. And so you've got the small enough point where the the sun's light is concentrated, and then you'll hold it there until you've gotten uh, the embers to glow. So you start actually have some combustion. And once again, you'll very gently blow on that until you have uh, enough embers to light your your tinder, and then you can place that in your fire that you've carefully built, ready to accept the the tinder. Uh, 
This can also be done with water. Uh, I think I saw somebody on one of the one of the shows recently, one of the survival shows, try and do it with water. I don't remember if it worked or not, but it can be done. Uh, and the reason it can be done is because the water will act like a lens. What you'll have to do is you'll have to get some type of clear plastic, and then that plastic, it can't be hard plastic, it'll have to be soft plastic, soft enough that it can be formed into a sphere, all right? So the plastic needs to be nice and clean, and it needs to be formed into a sphere. You can do that by, uh, you know, by making your making a pocket that you're that you're holding the water in, and then twisting it, and then you twist it and and make sure it's formed into a sphere, into a sphere. And you're going to hold that between the sun and the object you're trying to light, and you're going to maneuver it until you have that same pinpoint of light that you can use to get your gender glowing. You can do the same thing with ice. If you can form ice into a sphere, and uh, you can use it as a lens. And it's not as hard as it seems. It's not easy, but it can be done. You can take ice, and it needs to be, it's going to have to probably be pretty freshly made ice. You know, ice, uh, a lot of the ice that's made, especially ice with snow and stuff, is opaque. You can't use it. It has to be clear. It has to be clear as possible with as few uh, items in it, like air bubbles and stuff, as possible. Sometimes you can do this by by cutting a hole into a frozen river top, cut a circular hole in there, and then let it refreeze, and then take that clear ice out. And uh, you could probably make it easier to do by putting some type of fabric or foil or plastic or something around the edges of the hole that you just made. So the ice does not re when it refreezes, it doesn't refreeze to the block of ice. Um, that should help you get it out. Once you've got it out, you can take your pocket knife or your axe and start uh, chipping it and moving it into a sphere. Once you've got it pretty sphere-like, you can take your hands and start polishing it. So you've got it all nice and clean and, and as much as a sphere as you can make it, and then... You'll use that just like you use the the bag of water or the magnifying glass in order to to get a point of light. You maneuver it back and forth uh, with distance and movement to get the smallest speck of concentrated light that you can and then focus that on the tender. Uh, you can also use the sun with uh, other devices, uh, like, like uh, even like a a can, you know, like the the Coke cans, the uh, the drink cans that you have. <clears throat> you can have you can take the can, and if you can polish the bottom of it, if you look at the bottom, it has almost like a parabolic curve in the bottom. If you can polish the bottom of the the can, uh, certainly if you have. Uh, some type of steel wool. You have some fine steel wool. Uh, if you have some very fine uh, sand that you can use, but the but the the tin has to be shiny. So whatever you use, it's not going to work if you if you've only got it to that to the to the the way it looks when it's sanded with it with it rough. It has to be shiny. 
then you can take the item and you can maneuver the bottom of the can to the parabolic part so it's facing the sun. And then uh, I would take like a a piece of paper maybe and hold it where the sun is being reflected so that you could see what distance it needs to be from the can to get that piece that light pinpointed in order for you to get the the correct distance and the correct angle to get it hot enough to set your tinder on fire. Now, I've done this. Matter of fact, I, I accidentally did this just a couple of days ago when I was uh, taking garbage out to the dump. And uh, usually I go through the garbage as I'm putting it into the burn pit uh, because I'm sorting out, making sure that nothing good is getting thrown away, and I'm sorting out any recyclable stuff. And there happened to be one of those makeup mirrors uh, that one side it was broken. The, the the curved side, you know, that women look into to get the close-up view of their face. It wasn't broken. So while I was looking at it, I accidentally ran it ran the yeah, the angle of the sun where it crossed my face, and I could not believe how hot it was just when it crossed my face. So I I I kind of was was thinking about the fire starting aspect of it, and I moved it back and forth until I got a hot spot on my face. And I actually got a little red dot on my face because I was dumb enough to hold it there for a second to see how hot it was going to get. It got hot enough to put a little red dot on my cheek. So you could use a uh, like a parabolic curve uh, from, if you had a mirror like that, you could use that. If you have somebody has a makeup compact that has one of those in it, you could use that. You could uh, take an old headlight, and if you could break, if you could uh, break the outer portion of the glass that just left the parabolic curve inside, if you could break that out, you could possibly use it. I believe I saw somebody on one of the survival shows use a a flashlight to do the same thing, and they took the flashlight, the part that uh, that held the bulb. And uh, and use that with the tinder stuck inside it to get the fire started. So you can certainly uh, you can certainly use that uh, in order to in order to get your tinder uh, ignited. Uh, then there is. <clears throat> Fire by friction. All right, this is one you always see on uh, on like the for survival shows and stuff like that, and it works. It's been working for thousands of years, but you have to know how to do it. Uh, I got to tell you, when you're watching those survival shows and you're watching them do it, and they finally get it made, uh, they don't show you the hours of. Uh, these are folks that even supposedly they knew how to do it the hours of working at it in order to make it work. And I'll show you all the blisters and stuff on your hands that you get from doing this because you will. You will get blisters from doing this, especially if you're using a hand drill. Uh, and you will certainly, you're guaranteed to get blisters if you don't teach yourself to do it uh, in, uh, in practice. And you'll probably never get a fire lit if you don't practice it. Uh, it's one of the hardest ways that I have found 
to start a fire. All right, and there's not much I can uh, there's not much I can tell you about it right now, other than because you really need to see it. But I will tell you that there's several ways of doing it. You can uh, you can use the traditional hand drill or bow drill. That's where you take a piece of wood and uh, they, and you have a shaft, and then you have something for it to uh, to rub against when you're spinning it. You're going to take the shaft and you're going to make a uh, a round end on the end of the shaft. Then you're going to make the uh, the same type of hole in the board you're going to use to put the end into. That it's going to to spin against to get the friction. Then you're going to cut a V that just has a a small opening into that circle that's on the board, the baseboard. And that is where you're going to have your tinder. Now you're going to move that the shaft back and forth. Uh, if you're doing the hand drills, you're going to be clasping your hands together like you're praying up to the top of the shaft. You're going to be moving it back and forth by moving your hands back and forth and keeping pressure on the shaft as you're sliding toward the bottom of the stick. And you're going to go back up to the top really quick, and you're going to keep doing it. You're going to do it over and over and over until you produce enough friction in the by the two rubbing together that you're able to create uh, an ignited ember and use that to start your tinder. Now, you have to use a lot of care in the selection of the wood to do this. It can't be green wood. Green wood's never going to work, all right? Uh, it can't be two hardwoods together because uh, they're just going to ride on top of each other and they're not going to do anything. It has to be One has to be uh, a soft piece of wood, uh, and you may look be, you may not have a much uh, decision on which is which, but one has to be softer than the other. And you can do the same thing with uh, with the shaft and a board by cutting a groove in it. And in this case, you're going to cut a groove uh, maybe eight, nine, ten inches long. And it's going to be the size of the shaft that you have. And you're going to run the the, the shaft back and forth in the groove uh, until you're creating enough friction to cause the like the sawdust that you're that you're making in there to ignite. In this case, you'd have the the board facing away from you with the the end of the groove open and facing into the timber. You can find plenty of places to look at examples of this on uh, online. Just uh, Google hand drill or, or friction fire starting. It should give you plenty of examples to use. With the bow drill, you're doing the same thing, but you're actually able to get a little bit faster speed up and uh, and save your hands just a little bit, not a lot. It's going to be just a little bit by uh, by having the shaft and the baseboard that you're using, which needs two other components too. You're going to use a socket on the top in order to keep down pressure on and keep the, the shaft in line. You're going to use a bow uh, and a cord. It means you're going to make a bow that's almost like a bow and arrow. You'll wrap it so that it makes one loop around the shaft, and then as you move it back and forth, it's going to spin the shaft at a much higher rate of speed than you can do with your hands. Once again, if you haven't practiced this, don't. Don't expect it to make a speedy fire. Even if you have practiced it, it it takes a lot of skill 
to make a fire with the uh, bow drill or hand drill or anything like that. If you're hoping to do this, I wouldn't wait until I needed to do it to depend on it. Now, the knowledge that it can be done is good because uh, I'm sure that if you had enough time, if you weren't somewhere cold and you had enough time, that you could eventually figure out how to do it. You could eventually figure out how to make this, but I wouldn't count on it starting a fire rapidly unless I had practiced it and I'd used it. Now, there's some other devices that they make. One is a fire piston. And a fire piston, uh, and they make some really beautiful ones too, uh, fire piston works simply by using compressed air. So we have a uh, a shaft that's going to fit inside a receptacle, like a like another handle or something, and it's going to have a tiny little cup in the end of it, and you're going to put your tender in there, and then you're going to force it very quickly and with the pressure down. And when you do, the compression of the air is going to create enough heat to light that ember. Now, this takes a little bit of practice, too, to, to figure this out and get this right. It's going to take a little bit of work. But this is uh, this is another good way that uh, you could start a fire. You could get an ember going. I'm going to make these. They're, these are commercially made now. You could make your own. Uh, but it would mean that you needed to have tools and uh, and pretty decent tools in order to make a good one. But you can make your own. They make them commercially, all right. Uh, and like I said, it works on the uh, on the premise of compressing the compressed air, heating up uh, to the point where it ignites the embers. You know, compressed air creates a good a good deal of heat. If you ever go to the uh, to the dive shop to pick up your tanks, you know, and you see them when they're filling your tanks. They're usually all the tanks are sitting in a big vat of water, and they're not filling them fast. They're filling them slowly inside that big vat of water in order to keep the tanks cool because compressed air generates heat. Uh, compressing any kind of gas is going to generate heat. But this is another way that you could start fire. And like I said, I, I would uh, I would grab one and, uh, and practice with it and and maybe make it part of my prep. Uh, I've got an old one that I that looks real pretty. Uh, I'll have to be honest and tell you that I haven't used this one. Uh, I used one. I used a newer, uh, a newer manufactured one several years ago to start the fire. But I haven't used the old one that I have just because just because I have it. Okay, so I'm guilty of not uh, practicing with it either. But these are available. Uh, commercially available, the fire pistons. You can look those up. Uh, and let's talk about now about using electricity to start fires. Uh, you may be, you, you may have some type of electricity that is available to you, and you may be able to use that electricity to start a fire. Now, I want to tell you, if you have, if you have uh, something like uh, hot AC, uh, regular electricity and stuff, you can you can make a fire with it. But you're going you're gonna to need to be very, very careful if you do this, if you're using something like 120, 220 or something like that to create a fire. You're going to need to be very careful in the way that you do it. Uh, 
you can do it. I'm going to tell you about the way to do it with the battery. You can do the same thing with uh, with an AC line, but you need to be very careful with doing it. You'll need to use uh, something like a steel wool to do it. But let's talk about using batteries now because normally uh, if you have prepared it in any amount, then you're going to have uh, a flashlight or uh, or a radio or something that has batteries. And if you do, then there you have the ability uh, to start a fire with batteries. Uh, certainly if you have your your car, say you're out somewhere and <clears throat> your car has died for some reason out of gas, I don't know, something, and it is cold, then you can use that battery uh, to help you start a fire. What you're going to need to do is you're going to need to get a couple of wires and you'll attach those. I would suggest uh, unhooking the rest of the cables from your car battery. And you're going to take uh, a couple of wires that you have. You'll loop one over the positive terminal, one over the electric, uh, over the uh, negative terminal, and then that, and then you'll have the two wires there long enough so they can touch each other. And then strip a little bit off the end of each one. Then if you have any type of, uh, like, steel wool or some type of, uh, uh, some type of thin, conductible uh, metal, you can use that. Uh, if you have the magnesium... Uh, blocks and you can't get uh, a spark to light it, and you can use the car battery to light the magnesium sparks. Uh, what you'll need to do is get it set up, get your magnesium set up so that uh, so that it's ready to go, uh, sitting in its tinder box, whether it's like a uh, a bottle cap or, or some other little metal cap or, or whatever, any kind of a cap that you can use to hold the magnesium that's sitting inside the tinder. You take the two wires, you put one wire on one side of the magnesium uh, pile, the other wire on the other side of the magnesium pile, and the electrical current, once the two are connected together, will ignite the magnesium. And you can do the same thing if you have steel wool. And I actually keep a ball of steel wool uh, uh, wrapped up in a rag inside my hood because I use it to clean the uh, the terminals. So if you have that, or if you have any kind of other batteries and you have some steel wool, you can use the batteries to ignite the steel wool. Uh, and of course, they, they, the more power the battery has, the better. If you have a 9-volt battery that has, a, that has a pretty good charge on it, you can use that. Uh, if you don't, you can use your uh, A's C's or D batteries, you, it may take a couple of those held together to get, to get it going, but you're going to take one part, you're going to make a, a thin uh, like cable uh, out of the uh, uh, steel wool. And then you're going to use one part to touch to the positive, one to the negative, and depending on the amount of power in the batteries, it should uh, start to heat up and then start burning. All right. Now, anytime, no matter what you're doing, no matter what you're, what method you're using to start your fire, 
the fire has to be ready to burn before you start your fire lighting method. I mean, don't uh, don't work on getting your your tinder ignited, and then once ignited, say, okay, all right, let's start let's start uh, uh, building a fire on top of this tinder. <clears throat> I think that's a very poor way to do it. Uh, what I always do is I take a a good amount of time to lay my fire. You lay your fire correctly first. And you lay it with the idea that you're going to be introducing uh, ignited tinder into a certain point. That means you're going to to set your fire up however however you are going to set it up, whatever method you're going to use, and then you leave an opening, and usually I leave the depending on the, the force of the wind, I leave an opening facing into the wind so that I can set my tinder inside it. And And let's talk about just for a second about about fire, about the fire triangle. Uh, in order to have fire, you've got to have the three key elements. That's fuel, air, and heat. All right? Uh, the fuel is going to be whatever you're going to burn, you know, wood, paper, sticks, uh, char, whatever. Air, which is the, you know, it's the, the gas that surrounds you. Actually, you need the oxygen out of the air. Uh because air is made up mostly of uh, inert uh, gases, but you're going to need the oxygen that's in the air that's going to burn, and you need heat somewhere starting it, okay? Now, when most people, when they lay their fires, one of the biggest mistakes they make, or, or the reason they can't get a fire lit, is because they did not take time to lay their fire correctly. And, and that could be any number of reasons. That's either... Either putting on sticks that are too big, or or piling all the wood in a flat layer. Uh, uh, like I said, any number of things that can cause you to uh, cause a failure of the fire to start. Uh, you need to make sure that you're down at the very bottom of the base of the fire. You have your tinder, and that can be. And we'll talk about tinder in just a second. It can be whatever it is you're using for tinder. And then above that, you have the the items that are flammable that are just slightly larger than your tinder, like uh, like dry blades of grass or, uh, uh, you know, any other uh, any other very small, easy, easily ignitable stuff. Then you have uh, a little bit larger pieces of dry grass or twig, and then a little bit larger and a little bit larger. And so you can get up to the size that you need. It's usually never going to work unless you lay your fire correctly or unless you have a can of uh, gas handy, all right? So you need to pay attention to how you lay your fire. That means practice. You've got to practice laying fires and starting them, all right? You've got to practice laying your fire and starting it. All right, uh, let's, uh, let's talk about Tinder for just a second because... That's going to be that's going to be one of the most important parts of of this whole thing. Once you've got your spark, uh, it's going to have to go into something that's going to burn, and that something has to be has to be able to use just a spark to get it started. We talked about the char cloth. That's something that you can uh, easily make and keep on you. I've got. Uh, 
I've got several things that I keep in my pack. Uh, one of the things I use are cotton balls that I have smeared with Vaseline. All right? I'm taking the cotton balls, kind of flatten them out. I put a light coating of Vaseline on, on them. Then I roll them back up and put them into uh, a film can. All right? And I've packed it pretty good, so I have quite a few. Usually it only takes uh, less than one to get a fire started. At least for me, usually I can get one started with uh, with half or a quarter of a cotton ball. But I would use every bit of space I had in whatever container it is to pack it full. So you take the cotton balls and uh, flatten them out, put a little layer of Vaseline on it, and then roll them back up and uh, pack them tightly in, uh, in some kind of a airtight container. A film canister, something like that. You can uh, you can use uh, dryer lint. That's always a good uh, uh, that's always a good flammable material. And this is evidenced by uh, thousands of fires every year uh, in American homes from uh, dryer fires. When you take the the filters of the dryer and you pull that lint off, start uh, saving a good bit of it. And uh, you can take it and press it flat, roll it up, put it in a Ziploc bag, put it in, uh, in a Tupperware container, and uh, make that part of your gear uh, so that you'll have some dry tinder. Uh, they make commercially made uh, things like uh, they've got now they've got the fire sticks. And I think that's really a pretty good idea, especially for folks uh, folks that aren't practicing making fires and stuff. This is a pretty good idea. And this is wood chips that have been pressed into uh, almost like a match, a little bit bigger than a, than a match. It's about maybe a little bit smaller than your little finger. And it's got a, uh, a match head on it. So when you strike it and light it, then it's going to start burning. But it's burning uh, with a lot more heat and a lot longer than a regular match is. It actually has uh, the wood chips that are compressed into a flammable matrix like wax. <clears throat> and uh, those are really good. You can put those inside of a Ziploc bag and uh, carry them with you. And, and even if they were to get, even if you were trying to get a fire started in a damp situation, that those are still going to light. As long as the match head is kept dry. And I do that by coating the match heads uh, with wax. And I don't know, but I think that these, it uh, seems like me, like I looked at one of the match heads recently, and I thought that it did have a light coating of wax already on it. If not, you can put your own coating of wax on it in order to ensure that the wax, that the match head stays dry. Uh, they make uh, fire paste now. Uh, that's just like a little tube of toothpaste that uh, you can squirt onto your, uh, onto your tender. And if you get uh, if you have or like a flame already an exposed flame, then that will uh, catch fire and burn and uh, and help to get your fire going. They make the wax sticks, and I actually have a small pack of these in my big uh, bug out container. It's actually a, a stack. It's about uh, oh I don't know. It's uh, maybe an inch and a half thick by two inches wide and four inches long. 
and it contains uh, wood that is pressed into long blocks. It's uh, like uh, wood chips. Uh, probably, I, I believe it's pine, like probably fat pine wood chips that are pressed together into a solid uh, stick in a matrix of wax. <clears throat> That'll work. Uh, you can make these yourself, guys. You can make uh, the uh, the wax fire starters yourself. It's very easy. Just take uh, take some wax. You can get a wax from a candle. Or you can buy the blocks of paraffin. Get you some Dixie cups. Get you some wax. Uh, put the wood chips in the cup. Melt the wax. Make sure when you melt the wax, you're using a double boiler. Don't put the pan right on the flame because that's too hot. It's too hot. It makes the wax actually turn into a gas too quick. The gas can come over the side of the pan and ignite. All right, so put it like in a double boiler. Put the smaller pan inside a larger pan that's filled with water and use that, that soft heat to melt it down. Once you've got the wax melted, you can pour it into the, the little Dixie cups or whatever you're using for your container. And then just stick a little uh, uh, a little chunk of uh, of some type of a wick into that and once it uh, once it's dried and hardened, then you can use that to help start your fire. And you can use almost anything with the wax. You can use uh, I've seen people use toilet paper and wax and wood chips and uh, you, you name it. Uh, and uh, uh, and it's really easy. Once you have a, if you have like a, an actual flame, like a match or a lighter, once you've got that lit. It's very easy to use that to get your fire started. Uh, Whatever you use for your tinder, you've got to make sure that it is that it is dry and easily started with a spark or a flame. Okay, because that's another thing I see folks doing is when they're trying to make their fire, they're starting off with stuff that's just it's too big. They're trying to light their fire, and, and they're using as their baseline to get started. What should be their tinder, they're using twigs that are, you know, pencil size. That's not going to work. You're going to need to, to round up some dry undergrass, and that's the, the very fine grass that's growing under the, the taller grass. You're going to need to, if you've got a bunch of, of grass that's growing up pretty high, you can't just use green grass. You've got to pick and choose. Take a few minutes to... Make sure you're selecting perfectly dry pieces of the grass and that you've got a good amount of that and you're using that for your for your tinder. You can also look around, uh, if you're in a pine forest, look around at some of the old-growth pines. Uh, there may be uh, some pine limbs that have fallen or broken. <clears throat> look at the pine. Uh, if you can break it open or uh, or take your knife and and start splitting it lengthwise, you can do that by... Putting your knife at the, the back end of a broken piece and getting a getting a split started, and then using your hands to pull it apart. If you can't find some of the the wood, the, the pine wood that is dense and uh, and coated with rosin, uh, it's called fat pine, and you can use the slivers of fat pine to get your fire started. All right, this will take some practice too, but and I'm going to tell you again. The only way to make sure you're going to be able to do this when you need to do it is to do it when you don't need to do it, to get the practice of doing it when you don't need to do it. Some other items you can use would be uh, birthday candles, all right? Use birthday, pack a, uh, you know, a package of birthday candles. 
in your uh, in your gear. You can put those the same way that I did the, the matches. You can pack uh, 15 or 20 or more of those in a like a, uh, a medication container, and uh, you can hold all those in there. Uh, even the uh, even the trick birthday candles, uh, you know, work good because uh, the wind blows them out and they relight themselves. All right. Uh, you can use those to light your fire. You can use certain types of food uh, as a tinder or uh, to light fires. You got a bag of Cheetos. They got to be pretty fresh. Can't be too stale. You can use the Cheetos or cheese puffs to to light on fire or Pringles. You know, you eat the Pringles and you and they're crunchy and you feel that oil on your your fingers. All right, that oil is an ignitable oil. <clears throat> you can use those to uh, to help you get a fire started. This is all got to be this is all got to be practiced, okay? I'm telling you the stuff that you can do now, but uh it's going to you're going to need to practice these. Uh, I see one of the perks one of the guys is uh in the uh chat room is talking about uh the fire starter logs that are handy. And to cut small chunks off of it and use those for your tender. Absolutely. Absolutely you can. Uh, and But like I said, you can also just as easily, you can make them yourself too out of uh, sawdust and wax. And you can probably stop by uh, any uh, any wood place, any uh, construction job, and I'm sure they'll be glad to give you, uh, you know, a gallon of uh, uh, sawdust and then uh, get some candles or paraffin to make it. Uh, the uh, steel wool, same thing. Uh, I would keep a little bit of steel wool in my my bag. Uh, it can be used for uh, for quite a few different things. Uh, like I said, the steel wool will light with a battery when uh, when toilet paper won't. I also carry toilet paper in my uh, in my gear, and I keep it nice and dry too. So. I can use it for its intended purpose, or I can peel a sheet off to help me get a fire started if I need to. And, of course, I also have uh, lighters. I carry the regular Bic lighters to make sure that I have uh, some of those in uh, in all of my bags, and some of them even have uh, two or three in, all right, in case I need to give uh, a lighter to somebody else and they need to go in a different direction or something. Make sure that I have several of the Bic lighters. Uh once again, whatever you're going to do, whatever method you're going to use, and I would make sure that I that I picked several methods, maybe all the methods, and tried uh, tried them out. Uh, worked on starting a fire now when you don't have to, because because whenever your life depends on it, it's going to be a lot more difficult. Than with you out there trying it on a uh, on a Saturday, uh, you know when you're when you're not having to worry about it, all right. So make sure you're make sure you're starting your practice on it now. Try some of the 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 devices that I mentioned. None of them are very expensive, all right. Grab some of them, place them in your uh, in your bug out bags. Uh, make sure that you use them. Uh, make sure you know how to use them and you use them to actually start a fire, okay? Uh, I'm going to try and post this on the blog to make sure that 
that uh, everybody gets a chance to to look at it. Once again, I sure help you some help with the blog too. If anybody wants to volunteer, all right. <clears throat> Let's talk about lighting for a minute. Uh, now there are there are now so many products out on the market for lighting that I'm not going to try and give you individual devices. All right. Uh, I'm I'm going to to tell you the things that I'm I've been using and trying, and I'm going to tell you some, some general things about it, and and then you can do your research, and then you can get the gear uh, that's going to fit your needs, your situation, and your pocketbook. Okay. Uh, one of the first things that I would recommend to you is, and they have these really inexpensive. Uh, you can get them from places like Harbor Freight and stuff like that. Now they're not the they're not the absolute best, but they're for the prices you're going to pay. They're pretty good, and, and because of the fact that they're inexpensive, you can get a bunch of them. All right, and you know the the survival uh, phrase is uh, uh, two is one, one is none, uh, because. Better to have uh, three or four or five or six things that uh, that are a little bit uh, uh, a little bit farther down on the scale than just one device that you paid a, a bundle for. All right, so the one device goes, you're left with none. If you have uh, several of the less expensive devices, then certainly you have more of a chance of having one of those work. <clears throat> what I do is I I've, I have gotten the headlights. Uh, and I think I picked up a bunch just recently again from Harbor Freight. And uh, I make sure that uh, I don't open them up. They usually have a pull tab on the battery. I don't pull the tab or anything. I'll check a, a uh, like if I buy a package of six or so, I'll pop one out and I'll check it and I'll use it uh, just to make sure that the that it's good and that uh, uh, and how it works and stuff like that. But uh, the rest of them I leave just like that, brand new, and I make sure that I have the headlights in each of my bags. Now, um, the reason I'm telling you about the headlights is because they're, they're actually one of the best sources, one of the best ways to have light at night that I can recommend to you because if you're in a situation where you need light at night, then uh, there's a good chance that you're going to need one or both of your hands, and usually it's going to be both of them. And this is one of the, one of the, the easiest ways to be able to have light and have the use of both your hands. If you're going to be trying to make a fire, if you're going to be trying to set up a tent, if you're going to be trying to process some game that you just have, it would be much easier for you to have this headlight on. And they make them now with, uh, generally they'll have uh, several functions on the lights. They'll make the light uh, so that you can use a bright section of it, a uh, a more dim section that will last longer, and uh, a lot of them even have the red light lenses now. And... Uh, and I would suggest that you get uh, one of these for each of your bags. Make sure that you have one handy. Uh, and this can be used uh, for you as an individual to see things with, or you know, there's a neat nifty little trick where you can take the light. It's got the uh, expandable band on it to go around your head. You could take that and you can uh, turn it around so the light is facing in. You got like a one-gallon jug of water. You can take it and put it, wrap it around the jug so the light is facing into the water and turn it on. And now you've got uh, like a, a nice kind of uh, camping lantern, all right? And that, uh, 
that what that way the light is dispersed in a in a more general fashion so that everybody can see. It's easy to see, uh, you know, if you're sitting at a picnic table or something like that. It's easy for everybody to at least be able to see where to stick their fork uh, when you're doing it and you only have the one light. Uh, it's easy to see it that way. There are there are a multitude of other types of flashlights that you can get. Right now, uh, I'm using a, a very inexpensive light that I got from uh, Lowe's. I believe the light was $8, and uh, uh, it's a 200 lumen light that works on uh, three uh, AAA batteries. And most of the smaller lights, the LED lights now, work on AAAs. There's some that work on the doubles. Uh, and there's some that I just saw. There's a there's a nice set that Costco is offering right now. Go to the Costco website. It's got uh, a package of three 500 lumen uh, small handheld flashlights for uh, I believe fifty six dollars. Now that's a that's a pretty decent deal for a 500 lumen flashlight. Uh, the things that they're able to do with the LED technology now are really amazing. Uh, they're getting more and more light out of uh, out of less and less electricity, and uh, the LEDs are virtually indestructible with a, uh, a lifetime that's probably going to last longer than you will ever live. So you'll need to check the different lights that you have available. Once again, I, I prefer to have uh, several of the less expensive ones uh, than I do having one or two of the $200 Surefire lights or something like that. If you're a uh, Delta operator and you can get the government to buy it for you, then absolutely. Grab one of those nice big Surefires for $250, uh, But for you, yourself, your family, you can go to someplace like Lowe's or Home Depot, and they've got a great assortment of lights out there now. Uh, I've been looking at Walmart. Walmart really doesn't have really doesn't have as much of a selection as I would like. Uh, Academy has a little bit better, and then as you go to the more specialized stores, you can uh, you can find more lights, and they they go up the scale pretty quickly in price. I'd make sure that I I had several of of the less expensive lights, and then uh, they make a they make a whole slew of lights now. That's one thing. You know, Lowe's uh, in the rack there. They had a, a big rack of 40 lumen lights, a single uh, delay that uh, put out 40 lumens, all steel construction with a nice uh, watertight on-off switch, and uh, these were like uh, 225, and I think I bought 10 of those. And the reason is because I want to be able to, uh, I want to be able to have one in all the vehicles. I want to be able to have, to have the, for the kids to have their own, and I can't afford to do that, you know, at twenty-five or thirty bucks a piece. The the thing that I do like about the AA and AAA batteries now, and and they make it for all size batteries, uh, is once you once you have gotten your lights that you're going to use. Uh, I would also immediately go and get a battery charger that was solar and uh, AC, 
and some rechargeable batteries, all right? That way you can recharge these batteries. Now, that's going to that's going to be a little bit more of a cost, but it's going to be worth it because if you cannot get replacement batteries, then all the money you've invested in these lights is uh, is no longer any good, right? So you're going to have to have some way to keep them charged. Now, along that same line, uh, one of the first lights that I got, and I'm going to I'm going to tell you guys to do the same thing. Uh, and I was looking for a good source for these, and I, I didn't find it. Uh, but they make some really good uh, crank lights. And these are the lights that uh, that you take and uh, pop the crank handle out, spin it a few times, and that charges the, the battery up enough that it can be used to see, you know, very. you can use it to see pretty good at night. You can move around your campsite. You can find your keys. Uh, you could even follow a trail with it if you needed to. And uh, these are not that expensive. I believe eight to ten bucks will get you a pretty decent one. Now, I've had one that I carry with my that I've been carrying in my regular uh, travel go bag uh, for about eight or nine years. The same one, and I take it out uh, before I get ready to go on a trip. I give the handle like uh, three spins, one, two, three, pop it back in place, hit the on switch, and I've got a nice bright light. Uh, I would make sure that I invested money in these because. Uh, your all of your batteries could one day be down, and you'll be left with uh, you'll be left with just the lights that you can charge yourself with the with the crank handle. And I haven't uh, I haven't experimented enough. Maybe somebody could, but if you can if you can open those up and put your rechargeables in there, that may be a way that you could recharge your batteries uh, your rechargeable batteries. Uh, <clears throat> Now, along that same line, let's talk about uh, inexpensive lighting that you can get from Walmart right now. Uh, I think they still have it. Last time I went, last time I was here, I, I bought about 100 of them, and, and they still had it, and that is the the yard lighting, the solar-powered yard lights. Uh, Walmart's deal with China, and buying in bulk has made it so that they can now sell the rechargeable solar lights uh, for $0.97. Cents. And I've, I have experimented with these for about five years now. And I've got one that is still running five years later down at the outhouse or down at the shower at the range that has been there for about five years. It's still going. I've never, never taken it in. still sitting where it was. It's all... The sun has turned it white instead of the black plastic is now white. But the light still comes on at night, all right, after five years, for 97 cents. Now, these can be used, uh, you could use these tomorrow, right? You go down there and you grab yourself, uh, you know, 15, 20 of these. Uh, what I do is I'll buy, I buy them in bulk. I'll buy them 25 at a time or 100 at a time and then wrap them up tight and put them in a, the containers and lock them away. And uh, and I do this because uh, even tomorrow, even if the, the lights went out tomorrow, the power went out tomorrow, I could take these and uh, the battery in them right now, at least when you buy them new, the battery's charged up enough 
when they're new, you don't even have to have the sun at first. They'll run for a good uh, uh, 10 or 12 hours on their initial charge on the battery. Pull the tab out, let the, the connections be made, and it'll put out, uh, I'm not sure the lumens of it, but it's not that bright. Now, I do wish that the I do wish that the, the glass or the, the plastic uh, that protects the LED, I wish it were not a faceted glass, but it is. It's faceted uh, in order to, to spread the light in your yard, uh, which doesn't work as good whenever you're, when you're inside because it sends out blades of it. But uh, you can also take that off very easily. You can pop that off, uh, the glass off, and just get a single light. Anyway, you can... Uh, for 97 cents, you can place uh, a dozen of these all throughout your house. And now, even with the power completely off, you can walk through your house and at night uh, for months or a year if you had to, and you'll be able to see inside your house. And this is important because if you're inside your house and you need to make a shot at night, then it would be nice to have at least some kind of ambient light that you could use to see your target and make sure that your the target that you were aiming at was uh, was what it needed to be. John. Sorry, folks. I've got the uh, Kelly. I've got uh, I've got two dogs in season, and I've got a. Male dogs are just going crazy. Uh, I got a whole family coming back from a football game. All right. For 97 cents a piece, you can get these. You can put them throughout your house. You can get uh, five or six of them and stick them in a vase, put them on the, the dining room table, and you can see plenty good to get your fork into whatever it is you're going to eat. Uh, you can place them uh, uh, on a... Uh, as a trail to get from one point to another if you needed to at night. Uh, they're very inexpensive. Uh, they last really well. And and I would certainly see about uh, about getting those and having those uh, in case they were needed. Now, the other thing about those is they run on a... Uh, uh, a they run on a single double uh, A. Uh, most of the models run on a single double A. That means that that battery is a rechargeable battery that uh, that can be used in some other device that takes a double A. And it means that you could use these to recharge your double uh, A items. All right, so if you've got uh, some batteries that need to be recharged, you could pop them into these, set these in the rack outside uh, during the day, and you could be recharging your uh, rechargeable AA batteries with these. All right, so it works uh, on several levels. Uh, all right, I'll look into the chat, see if you guys are asking any questions or anything. Uh, And uh, I'm glad that uh, that we're not having the trouble that we had last week. <clears throat> All right, uh, is that you guys are awfully quiet? And are you guys still hearing me? 
Somebody can just uh, pop in there real quick and post in there that uh, you can still hear me. We can hear you over here, Scout. All right. Okay, perfect. There we go. All right, Ed said it's because I haven't uh, begun talking about the the Syrian conflict. Well, I'll start talking about that in a minute. We'll see what happens. Uh, like I said, there's a uh, there's an article I think I posted into the chat that uh, was talking about that that uh, that another uh, blog talk show uh, found that they had been the victims of uh, DNS attacks during their show. Hopefully, that won't happen to us. All right, so we got uh, we've got several types of lighting that we can use now. I would also uh, make sure that I would make sure that I that I have access to to several different kinds of lighting. Uh, for myself, I use uh, the propane uh, Coleman style lanterns and the fuel, the liquid fuel Coleman style lanterns. And what I've done is I've replaced most of the old. Uh, the old lantern fuel ones with the multi-gas fuels now. So they're they're a bit more expensive. They run about $55, $56 a piece now. But I replaced all of the old uh, Coleman fuel lanterns with the multi-fuel. That way I can use uh, regular gasoline in these. And uh, and I've got, I have several of the liquid fuel ones and several of the propane. Now, along with that, when you're getting these lanterns, make sure that make sure you don't just get the lanterns. Because if something happens to it, you'll have a $55 piece of tin. Uh, the first thing you'll need to do is make sure that you have that you have picked up uh, a good supply of the mantles. So every time I'm going through Walmart, I grab another uh, six to eight to ten mantles, and I'll toss them in the bag. They usually sell them uh, for my particular model. I buy them in the four pack. So if I buy five packs of the four packs, I got 20 extra mantles. But I'll do this all throughout the year. I've got a big, uh, like a shoebox size Rubbermaid tote that is nothing but mantles. And uh, and then for the propane lanterns, I have uh, probably maybe 60 or 70 of the propane bottles that go onto them. And then also, I've made a device that I can use to refill those from the larger, uh, from the, all the way from the 250 or 500 gallon propane tanks down to the the ones that you use for your, uh, for your cooking grill. So I can refill these smaller tanks off of the larger items. And then of course, I've got the propane, I mean, I've got the mantles for all of them. And then several extra uh, glass, man, several extra glass, uh, I want to say mantles, uh, but it's not. Several extra the glass uh, pieces that uh, that fit the lanterns, all right? Because if you break the glass, which is pretty easy to do, just has one good drop, and uh, and that lantern is kind of done, all right, so make sure that you have some extra pieces for it. That means maybe picking up uh, a couple of the pump kits, the universal pump kits, to make sure that you have, you can replace the pump because those will wear out uh, fairly often if you use it pretty good. The, the pump kits will wear out. You'll need to replace the uh, 
the seals and the actual pumping shaft and everything in that, uh, if it goes bad, the mantles and the glass, all right? And then you'll need plenty of whatever it is you're going to use uh, as a fuel for it. Now, I like the I like the multi-gas ones, like I said, because, uh, you know, I can carry those around, and if need be, I could, uh, you know, siphon uh, a quart of uh, gas out of a car or or wherever, and I could use that to uh, as a fuel for the for the lantern. Now they also make the uh, solar and hand cranked lanterns. All right, and those are very handy too because you can crank those up and use those. Uh, uh, over and over again with their rechargeable batteries. Uh, they make. Uh, I was trying to make sure that I got all the the, the newest uh, rechargeable kind of lights. I've got the old shakers. They're still working. Those are the lights that you you shake back and forth. It has a uh, uh, like a magneto inside it that you're shaking it back and forth and storing up the electricity. I have several of those and uh, the hand crank ones and. Uh, and I try to give myself as many options as possible, as should you. All right? Uh, you can look at, uh, you can just, just like anything else, you can Google it online. You can look at uh, a lot of the uh, the self-reliance and prepper forums. They've got a lot of good information on that. Jack Spirico in the Survival Podcast, his forum has a lot of great information about uh, lights and fire starting too. Uh, uh, one last thing is don't be afraid to be creative, and uh, you can make you can make light if you need to out of a lot of different things. I also have about a dozen of the uh, the old wick and lantern fluid lights. You know, like how you see in the Western movies. Got about a dozen of those. Uh, I don't like to use those inside because the gas they put out is uh, is not a healthy gas. It's pretty toxic. But there's plenty of other things that you could use. All right, don't be afraid to be creative. You could take uh, the uh, if you like sardines. Uh, I carry sardines in my go bags, uh, but I use mustard ones because I'm not that. I'm not that big a fan of the sardines. I'll eat them, and it's a good way to carry a bunch of protein. Uh, but I carry them in my bags. So I know that I won't just get hungry and, and break them open and start, uh, you know, start eating them because I'm because I'm not I don't like them that much. But if you're using the uh, the oil ones, then make sure that uh, when you eat the sardines, you don't throw the oil away. You save the oil. And uh, you can take a, you can make a, a homemade wick. You can do it out of like a little strip of, uh, of your T-shirt or uh, an old shoelace or a piece of a mop uh, strand or, you know, anything you can use to make a wick out of. You can lay it into the sardine oil, let it soak up, and then you can light it on. It'll just be no different than the old, uh, uh, you know, the old uh, Aladdin genie lamps, you know, the old oil lamps. Uh, you can take uh, you could take any kind of uh, of a container 
it will hold oil, any type of uh, like of a, of a pure type of cooking oil, and put a wick in it and burn it. It's going to wick the oil up and burn it. Uh, Got to be more careful with these because it's an open flame with a lot of flammable liquid, uh, but it can be used. You can use uh, crayons if you need to. Uh, crayons will uh, will actually burn just straight out of the box if you want to use one to light your way. But you can also make a, a candle out of it uh, real quick if you need to. You can take uh, like three crayons, take that same wick that you're going to use in, uh, in the oil lamp, put it in between the three crayons, press them tightly together around it, and then use something to to tie it to bind them, some, some wire or, or thread or string or something, and light it, and you'll have a have a candle. I think the three crayons ones. I think it. I think I had one of those burn for about ten minutes or so. Uh, the the cans of Crisco, uh, Montequilla, whatever kind of uh, lard or anything that comes in the the tin cans, like the tin coffee can size things, those things will make a uh, a lamp that you can use. The same thing with that. You take a, take a wick that you made, use some kind of a fork stick or something to press it down into the uh, into the 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 lard or fat, and uh, and then uh, rub a little bit up on the length of the length of the wick and light it. And you can use that. I think that uh, uh, I think that those things have been known to burn for months and months. Uh, the cans of Crisco. All right. So don't be afraid to to make something. Do be respectful of the fact that any open flame candle, uh, homemade things, uh, the, uh, the uh, oil lanterns, anything like that is going to be inherently dangerous. Anything you made as an open flame is going to be dangerous, and it's going to require is going to require you to be more careful and to watch it. All right. <clears throat> all right. Uh, if you have any questions, you're welcome to send them to me. I'll be glad to uh, to answer any questions that I can. Uh, I want to use the last uh, few minutes here to talk about the current situation. Uh, in with the uh, United States and Syria. As you know, uh, as you sure you, that everybody has heard, the the situation now looks like that President Obama is not going to accept uh, accept any. Uh, Anybody's consideration. The the only thing he's going to do is what he wants to do, and he wants to make a military strike against Syria. Uh, I believe he even he even mentioned. Uh, let's see, what did he say? He said uh, the other day. He said. Uh, Obama said that his credibility is not on the line as far as the events in Syria. It's not his uh, credibility. It is the credibility 
of the rest of the world. And I'm going to mention uh, a comment that uh, my my buddy, another instructor in North Carolina, has written, Man Alone Tactical, on Facebook. And he said, you never get lonely with that much ego to carry around. All right? Obama says that his credibility is not on the line. It's the rest of the world that's out of the line. Not him. Well, let's look at let's look at what's been going on. All right, we're going to ask ourselves in just a few minutes why why is this happening? Because nothing happens without a reason. I mean, there, there certainly there are some uh, arbitrary events, but but this is not one of those. All right. This is happening for a reason, and what is it? And whenever you're trying to figure out a reason or why something is happening, you have to look and see who is benefiting uh, from this. Who who is benefiting, and why is it happening? Now we know, uh, and I'm not telling you stuff that is. I'm not giving you conjecture. I'm giving you stuff that's being reported by CNN and the rest of the uh the different news uh, gathering uh organizations around the world we know that this didn't this isn't something that just now happened this isn't something out of the blue uh a syrian faction of the syrian rebels didn't just uh, uh or the assad the assad regime did not just uh, now out of the blue uh attack its citizens with with uh, chemical gas with sarin gas and which has caused Obama to decide to to make a uh, a retaliatory strike. What we do know is that back as far as uh, as right before the last elections, we know that the embassy. Uh, our embassy was attacked. In Benghazi, and the ambassador and uh, several of the the security forces there, including a couple of Navy SEALs, were killed in defense of the embassy. And this was told to us that it was because of a video that was being shown uh, that was angering uh, the Muslims. So it was all this was all part of. Uh, their response to a video. Now, we also know that this isn't true now, and we know it from several sources. We know it from the folks that did it. Uh, we know it from evidence that uh, despite all attempts for it not to be collected, we know from the evidence that this was not uh, some random mob. Uh, this was a uh, a determined group uh of skilled and equipped uh, folks that attacked the embassy. Uh, And we know now from the folks involved why that happened. And the reason it happened is because even then the ambassador was using the embassy and the embassy holdings, embassy properties and stuff to store and stage the operation of smuggling arms to the Syrian rebels. Uh, Assad and his regime, and uh, also the Russians, were very upset about this, and the attack on the embassy 
uh, was done by we don't know exactly for sure who. I'm 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 sure that there are I'm sure our government knows. But the attack on the embassy was performed uh, under the orders of the Russians and Assad because they wanted to give Obama a slap on his hand for getting involved and for smuggling the the uh, weapons, including uh, it is said by some sources, including surface-to-air missiles. Which why, why anybody in their right mind would let those outside uh, of our borders and into the hands of anybody is beyond me. Uh, but it was meant as a uh, as punishment to Obama, and what they wanted to do was they wanted to perform the attack on the embassy, and they would there would be a follow up investigation, and the investigators would actually find that the embassy was being used to smuggle arms to the Syrian rebels, all right? However, it didn't work. The the Assad regime and the Russians were, I don't think that they understood the, the ability of the current administration to, to dampen any attempts and actually prevent any attempts at uh, investigation of the event. Uh, no one was allowed into Benghazi to do any investigation for over a month. Over a month, it was locked down tight. Now, we have guys all over, stationed all over. We have the ready-to-go, we have the ready force Marines uh, that are, that this is their job. Their job is to, is to be packed up and in the air within six hours to go anywhere in their region to, provi- to provide uh protection and defense of embassy staff, personnel, and property. They were never sent there. And why? Why were they? Nobody's ever answered that. They, they could have been sent there immediately. The reason you want to do that is because you want to protect the evidence. You want to protect, to protect the evidence. Well, first, you want to protect the staff members, all right, because there were still staff members that were still being hunted. Uh, and And... Some even say that uh, the ambassador could have been saved if they would have given the go immediately uh, for the ready Marines to go in and do their job. Uh, but you certainly want to protect any staff members who, who can wait out that long. And one of the staff members did. He was, he'd been shot and blown up, and, and he was hiding, but they, you know, he finally made his own way out. Uh, but the Marines were never sent in. It was, you send them in to lock down the place to protect the embassy properties and protect the evidence because we're going to send in investigators. We're going to find out who did this and we're going to track them down and punish them. This was not done. Now, the administration said that it was too dangerous to send anyone in. However, uh, apparently it was not so dangerous that the reporters uh, couldn't wander around for the embassy, and they, one of them even picked up uh, uh, the ambassador's uh, passport. Uh, there were tons of documents everywhere. It wasn't uh, so dangerous that the uh, that the the folks are are allies and friends, or some of the uh, the residents of Benghazi couldn't. Come over and 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 very quietly and politely, like pay their respects to the uh, to the folks that had been killed there. But 
since the the site was not protected for over a month, none of the properties were, the, none of the documents or anything else, all of it disappeared. Everything disappeared, all of the evidence, all of the documents, all of the, the, the uh, embassy properties, the warehouse, and the weapons, everything disappeared. Finally, when investigators were allowed in a month later, there wasn't anything to find that hadn't been destroyed or contaminated, and and so we were left with nothing. They were left with only the story that <clears throat> that they had become so enraged over the video uh, that uh, that they had randomly a mob had randomly attacked. All right, but now we know from everybody. We know from everybody involved, from the Russians, from everybody. This was not the case. All right. So now we have the current administration deciding that because of because of the the chemical weapons used, the there's going to have to be. Uh, an attack made on the Assad government in or in retaliation to prevent them from using them anymore. Now, this is something that we also know. And one of the things I I'm so angry about is is the and it's not just the current administration. All the administrations do it. You can't you're not going to be you can't just say it's one administration. They all do it. Uh, and that is to hold its citizens in such contempt that they try and force such slap, sloppy uh, stories and explanations on us. Luckily, the age we're living in now, we can we can get information that was denied to us in previous years, previous administrations. But the problem is now that we get so much information, it's hard to ferret out the truth because we, instead of having one page of disinformation, now we have uh, 500,000 pages, and some of it's true, some of it's not. You've got to wade through all of it and try and figure out what's true and what's not. And it's, a, and it, it's very time-consuming and very difficult. <clears throat> so so what do we now know now? Uh, we do know uh, we do know some of the things that's going on, that is going on in the area. All right? We do know some of the background, but it's, it's, it's well-reported. Uh, one of the things we know is that Qatar wants to run a gas, natural gas pipeline uh, out of the Persian Gulf through Syria and into Europe. Now, Syria, uh, Syria, right now the regime doesn't want to do that. So Qatar has been pulling, they've been pouring billions of dollars into the civil war in Syria in order that uh, a regime will be in, that can get in power that they can use to fulfill their wishes of running the pipeline into the Gulf. Right? We know that, and and we know that they're they're working on it. Uh, we also know that uh, that the current charges of the Assad regime using chemical weapons. We know that that. Uh, while we don't know for certain that it hasn't been done, we do know that the current attacks that have been blamed on the regime, we know that those were not made by the regime. 
we know now, and this has been reported already by CNN and others, and even by the actual rebels themselves, that the last uh, event was due to the fact that the rebels were transporting chemical weapons uh, that they had received from the prince, one of the uh, uh, Saudi princes, and since they did not understand uh, how to how to handle the devices, and they they didn't even know, uh, according to the rebels, they didn't even know that they were transporting chemical weapons. That there was an accident. They were mishandling one of the devices, and uh, and that precipitated uh, the release of the gas. And uh, we know that from several of the rebels involved, and we know that from some of the families of the rebels that were killed because because they told them that that's what they were doing. Now, why why this is – and from the beginning, we, we knew that the rebels had used it, the, the chemical weapons. But that was, that was just brushed under the rug, and nobody said anything about it until someone tried to blame it on the Assad regime. Now, once that was done, then Obama uh, wanted to use that as a reason to attack. But what we have to ask is who's going to benefit from this? And one of the answers that we already know is that the United States is not going to benefit from this. We also know now that the that the Saudis have been threatening the Russians to stay out of it by saying that uh, if the Russians don't stand down – then supposedly the Saudis that are in control of the uh, the Eastern Bloc, Al Qaeda, uh, Chechen, the stuff that they're going to use them to attack the Olympics in Russia. All right. All right. So this is not what it seems. The things that you're hearing and that you're seeing on TV are not what it seems. I I, I ask you guys. We got 60 seconds. I ask you guys to to read and check for yourselves. And to, and more important than that, talk to your representatives and tell them not to allow Obama to do this. I can tell you right now, if the bombs start falling, this is going to bring up a huge chat storm. All right. Uh, I think I posted into the chat uh, one of the uh, one of the stuff. You can look on my page, Michael Adam, uh, for more information on this. I right, will see you guys uh, this next uh, Thursday at the same time. Until then. Uh, God bless you and keep you all, and uh, we'll see you next uh, Thursday, 7 p.m. Central Time.
Dragging who we need And call this liberty 